And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot podcast network. The HubSpot podcast network has incredible podcasts like the Salesman podcast hosted by Will Barron. Now, if you work in sales, you want to learn how to sell, or you want to peek at some of the latest sales news and insights, you need to listen to the Salesman podcast. The host, Will Barron, helps sales professionals learn how to find buyers and win big business in effective and ethical ways. If you think any of the following topics resonate with you, you're going to love the show. How to find and close your dream job in sales, 12 essential principles of selling, digital body language, how to have better Zoom sales meetings, or how to tell a remarkable sales story. If these are topics that would interest you, go check out the Salesman Podcast wherever you get your podcast, or at HubSpot.com slash podcast network. Hey everyone, just take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Longshot Leaders. It's a podcast that reached out to me that I just started listening to because I absolutely love them. It's hosted by my good friend, Michael Stein. It's edgy. It's different. He interviews absolutely everyone under the sun and speaks through their journey, unpacks the biggest obstacles they've had to overcome to find success in whatever it is they've done in their life. So he interviews Academy Award winners, ex-cons, Holocaust survivors, sports heroes, you name it, he interviews them. And he himself also has a really interesting background. So Michael Stein's a host. He's an entrepreneur, writer, actor, filmmaker. He's also a stand-up comedian. So he kind of puts that all into the interview. 
And then he gets into the how, the why, the secrets of why people do what they do. It's really cool. I actually love the show. He reached out to sponsor, but I don't take any sponsorships, especially for podcasts, unless I actually like them and listen to them myself. So I listen to it. Highly recommend you check it out. That is Long Shot Leaders with Michael Stein. Today, my guest is Randy Haken. He is a serial entrepreneur, venture capitalist, angel investor, philanthropist. He currently runs the Gratitude Network. This is a 501c3 not-for-profit. He founded it. It provides coaching services to social entrepreneurs around the world. He's been in the startup game for a minute. In 1997, he co-founded Outlook Ventures. They invested in over 30 growth stage internet and technology and software companies over a 10-year span. His street training came from executive roles that he held at IBM, Apple, and Paramount. In 1993, he joined a series of technology startups and held senior sales and marketing positions at Yahoo, Electric Minds, and Net Channel. He's been an angel investor for more than 20 years. He's invested in over 30 early stage companies, including early stakes in AOL, Yahoo, uh, E-Teams, Sherry's Berries, Napa Pharmaceuticals, iFluence, Table.co, Fast Pencil, Le Concierge, Enter Allies, CrowdOptic, Alploy, QA Symphony, eFarmix, and Sculptology, to name a few. So he's been doing this for a while. Uh, what we've focused on is why, after working in all these tech companies, why he is so passionate about social entrepreneurship and why it's so important to invest and help people that are focused on socially responsible causes and businesses. This is what the Gratitude Network is all about. This is what he's built up. So we spoke about his experience and how a startup has matured over his entire career because he's been with it for he's been in it for a while. We spoke about Gratitude Network, what it's doing for businesses, different strategies that uh, for-profit versus not-for-profit businesses have, how to launch a socially conscious business, um, also how to look for help. And this is lessons that could apply to a socially conscious business or entrepreneur or founder or somebody who's just looking for help, but how to find a coach to help your business, what gaps should they fill, uh, what has more merit, taking an MBA or continuing education versus finding a mentor or a coach, um, and some red flags that entrepreneurs should be aware of. So a lot of great entrepreneurship startup lessons, but heavily focused on social entrepreneurship and how social entrepreneurship is something that he wants to double down on and his reasons for why it's so important to support these founders and entrepreneurs. So let's jump right into it. This is uh, Randy Haken. He is a serial entrepreneur, angel investor, venture capitalist, and philanthropist. Well, uh, I grew up on the East Coast. Uh, apparently, I was a natural-born entrepreneur because uh, my parents tell me that age eight, I was already setting up businesses for all the neighborhood kids and, and charging them, you know, 25 cents for museum fees so they could come look at a bunch of bones and rocks that I put together. But uh, I ended up getting a good education after that, though, uh, at Brown in Providence, Rhode Island, and really enjoyed uh, putting together a uh, independent study there on the area of uh, organizational behavior, went on to business school at Harvard. And then Apple Computer uh, drew me out to the West Coast. Um, I went my first five years um, out here, uh, sales and marketing for Apple, including creating their worldwide developer program for multimedia, which is sort of the dawn of the uh, internet and digital media age. So timing was perfect. Uh, a couple years later, I found myself introduced by Sequoia Capital to Yahoo, to the founders there, and I joined the team as the VP of sales and marketing. 
as part of that founding team. And then after Yahoo went public, just a series of startups uh, at the COO and VP level, uh, different roles that I enjoyed and eventually created a venture firm so that I could in invest in the CEOs that I was already working with. Um, Outlook Ventures, which my partner, who is a schoolmate from Brown and Harvard, and I, uh, you know, created, lasted about 15 years. We did three funds, about 250 million under management, and a chance to really work with a lot of great entrepreneurs, which is what I love most. And then in 2013, after 15 years of that, I began to formulate plans for giving back, and, and that's when I created the Gratitude Network, which I'm running today. So you've you've done all of it. You've you've progressed past the venture stage. You were the operator. You you invested. And now now you're giving back. So what was what was it that made you um, leave the venture space and start this new like gratitude network? What was the what was the thing that just caused you to need to do this as a next step in your career? Yeah. Well, I know it probably sounds trite, but the word gratitude initially comes to mind, and that I think. Um, I had done very well um, career-wise and, and financially and wanted to think about what I could, how could I express my gratitude? Um, actually, Tony Robbins had a major impact on me. I, I uh, chanced upon meeting him when he was presenting at the TED conference, and he invited me to work with him on a startup called My eLife. And then, you know, I spent a lot of time going, uh, thinking personally about my own situation he has a date with destiny which i went through twice there was also another guy bob buford who's the author of halftime uh became a personal coach for me and helped uh mentor me through the beginning of the gratitude network and i think um all of it kind of came together right around my 50th birthday i had this crazy idea that i would um blog or post something i was grateful for for 365 days in a row and uh, pulled that off and somewhere in the middle of actually looking around me and seeing what I was grateful for and you begin to run out of things after about a hundred posts so you really have to look around uh, this idea of um, engaging my network I've been very blessed with a good network of friends and colleagues and how could I engage them in giving back as well and so that's that's how gratitude network kind of was born out of the out of the old venture capital career in the sense of gratitude. And and in your in your mind after doing all this, like what is so is gratitude giving back or is gratitude um your definition of it, like really understanding what you've achieved in your life, or is it a combination of both? Yeah, it, it really is a combination of of both. Initially, I think more, you know, focused on me. Uh, uh, grappling with what can I do moving from success to significance, but also just, and, and of course the network that I had and, and how we could all work together to make impact. But, you know, the, the gratitude network thing, you know, the reason we called it a network is really that um, the idea is to get around social entrepreneurs who are making impact on children and on education. And so, you know, the the network effect takes place by uh, finding coaches and finding expert advisors, and uh, and everyone's doing this work, uh, you know, pro bono, and then matching them with the most incredible social entrepreneurs around the world. And 
uh, you know, coming from a venture capital background, I kind of re- I kind of realized. Uh, sorry, my earpiece keeps falling off here. Um, I sort of realized with venture capital that you can impact people with money, but what it really comes down to is impacting people with, um, you know, one-to-one support um, of, of the top leadership team. That really makes a difference, and so that's really what we wanted to focus on with Gratitude Network. And right now, um, the the current iteration of Gratitude Network. What what are you actually doing? Is it uh, to to paint a picture? People is it like an incubator? Is it yep. is it a network of advisory? Is there a venture part of it too that actually invests? So walk through the whole gamut, and I want to then unpack yeah. uh, some of the companies you work with as well. Sure. All right. Well, um, first of all, I think of it now we're evolving uh, really as an accelerator. So think of it okay. like an accelerator for impact. Um, just like an accelerator for startups might be focused on enterprise software or, uh, you know, internet, consumer internet. Uh, this one's focused on any social entrepreneur around the world uh, who is focused on children, youth, or education. So anything up to college age, essentially. And the thought here was let's surround them with leadership development, as opposed to handing them money, what we're doing is bringing them resources to be better leaders. But the thinking is from a leverage point of view, if we can even increase by five or 10% their capacity as a leader, we could impact many, many more children. And so the, that's sort of the leverage model that it works on. It, it's an annual program. So we, last year we had 1,300 applications, uh, the same this year, we just completed our application process. And we narrow that down in 2021 to 33 out of 1,300. So they're, they're really exceptional social entrepreneurs. What they have in common is that they are scaling up. So most of them are not startups, but they have already proven themselves. And now the issue is how do we, how can we help them uh, you know, accelerate, accelerate that scaling. And then um, they also, of course, have in common children, youth, and education. So there's a lot of camaraderie amongst them. They get one-to-one coaching for a year. When the coaches run out of gas on a particular topic that maybe is not their expertise, we have 70-plus expert advisors who are volunteering their time on all different subject matters to jump in and spend a couple of sessions with those entrepreneurs on, on what they might need, you know, anything from social media to product development, technology, legal advice, et cetera. And then we get them together uh, throughout the year. So they're in a peer group. Um, we divide them into smaller groups. They meet every two months. They're supporting each other. They're sharing their common challenges. We have a process called roundtable that they can actually solve problems on these on these calls as a group. We also have a leadership summit during the course of the year, which is a lot of fun. Uh, it was here in Pleasanton for several years, but with the pandemic, we've held it virtually. Uh, last year, over 150 alums and and current cohort went through it, and uh, it was a four-day uh, ton of fun and learning for everyone and a lot of connection. So I think that's basically the program in, in a nutshell. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Peloton. Peloton is pushing you further with so much new on the Peloton Bike and Peloton Bike Plus. New classes, new music, 
new ways to keep your workouts motivating and exciting. And if you're going to commit to a healthy lifestyle, you have to make it part of your lifestyle. It cannot just be a one-off. So any way to make sure that it's fun and fresh, that's how you stick with it. Now there's a few new additions for the new year that Peloton is bringing. Boxing, new artist series, music selections, and more daily workout variety. With their boxing, whether or not you've boxed before or you've never stepped into the ring, you can now discover a fast, fun, and furious boxing workout with Peloton instructors in your corner. They're adding new music. Work out to a single artist for an entire class or from your favorite hits to the deep cuts. There are over 100 artist series to choose from. Find your favorite music and turn your next workout into a concert. And more daily workout variety. So key, it's easier to stick to your goals when you keep your workouts interesting. Peloton has a workout for every goal, day, and mood. De-stress from a long day with 30 minutes of strength and 20 minutes of cardio or do a quick 15-minute total body class before work. Stay motivated while having fun with bike workouts, yoga, meditation, dance cardio, and more. So whatever your goals are, if you're trying to see a better you, a healthier you in 2022, visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. That's OnePeloton.com, O-N-E-P-E-L-E-T-O-N.com. And and what would you say the biggest difference, like the, the biggest differentiator between what Gratitude Network is and what all the other accelerators in the world would be? Yeah, great, great question. So one, it's a focus on uh, youth, children, and education. So that in itself narrows it down pretty much. There aren't that many accelerators or incubators. Two, uh, most incubators or accelerators are focused on early stage. And we're focused on the, the mid to later stage and really the growth stage. And what you find is they already know how to get funding. If they're nonprofit, they're getting funding, you know, typically from corporations, foundations, families, right? But what they are doing is kind of tripping on themselves, either because they don't know what they don't know. They, they, many of these leaders were former teachers or people who just stumbled into an amazing, um, you know, nonprofit or for-profit social enterprise, but they weren't trained, you know, they don't have, uh, you know, 20 years of street smart as a business person. They don't have an MBA or anything like that. So what are the leadership skills that we can bring to them and to their senior leadership team that would help accelerate and get them, get, help them get out of their own way to accelerate their programs and their, and their work with kids. So I would say those are differentiating. The other is we're, we're both hyper-local and global at the same time, which is a bit unusual. So we've, we're in uh, more than 60 countries around the world over the last six years. And um, our coaches are spread. We've got more than 30% of our coaches around the world and expert advisors. Now almost 20% of them are global. And so each year, the cohorts typically 60% um, global, 40% U.S. And within the U.S., quite a bit in the major cities, as you would imagine. So a lot of inner city type work um, and some rural America work, but um, in the Bay Area in particular, um, each year there's typically eight to 10 of our, you know, almost uh, you know 25% of what we do here. So when we're going and looking for help or sponsorship, we're able to tell local companies that, hey, we've got a group uh, a highly concentrated group right here in the Bay Area, if you want to support that. Or 
if your brand wants to support something global, you know, um, impacting ch children worldwide, we can support that as well. So kind of come at it from several angles. So, so the follow up to that would be so you're working with these, these, these founders that have figured out an incredible idea, there is a social component to it as well. But perhaps they don't have that background in business. So what are some of the things that uh, you find founders are running into uh, some notable differences in potentially just not knowing what they don't know versus somebody who would be, you know, MBA coming from McKinsey or, or have an MBA and then doing like a venture back software startup has worked in enterprise sales for the past, you know, X amount of years and then becomes a founder or an engineer focused uh, founder. What are some things that you work with mm -hmm. and you help these founders work with? Because I want to, I want to unpack some lessons for people yeah. that do not have a traditional business background. Um, that you probably help people with, with all the companies you work with and some things that we can sort of maybe help people understand how they can sort of fill some gaps in their own, uh, in their own knowledge. Yeah, sure. So, um, keep in mind, uh, about 90% of who we're working with are nonprofits. So I'm going to kind of frame it a little bit on that side. You won't hear me talking okay, sure. as much about venture capital or, you know, how to attract the next round. It's more about how do you go for bigger foundations or, you know, how do you come up with an internal income model? But I would say the main areas that I, I think of are people and talent is definitely a big one. And, and we'll come back to that in a second. Then there's execution, just raw execution. And then there's probably the what's the engine, what's the financial engine that, that fires this whole thing up? And, of course, product and technology or use of technology for product. So starting with the people front, I mean, I think uh, a lot of the times these leaders um, are kind of figuring out as they go along who belongs where, where are the gaps on my team. We're, what we can do with coaches is we can really accelerate how they think through um, what the team is today and where it needs to be tomorrow. So first of all, there's that, you know, they... Uh, you've heard the the expression, putting the right people on the bus in the right seats. It's that kind yeah. of work. And that seems to happen a lot. Now, right now, there's a global talent shortage. Uh, it's very hard to recruit people. So a lot, a lot comes up around recruiting. How do you position your organization to really get the people you need? And a lot related to even what's the cadence of ongoing meetings how do you communicate as a team so it's a lot about team building a lot about leadership development of your team so you know what is the succession plan if you're if someone's going to move into a vp level role who fills their place in the org and so there's a lot of succession planning and making sure that the the skills of of the team are are all kind of progressing so that the whole organization is buoyed by team development um, so those are some of the people issues. Execution wise is you see a lot, um, a lot of the help that a lot of the discussions I think takes place around how do I better delegate? How do I organize my team uh, for accountability? You know, how can I make sure this team is by building an accountable culture? I don't have that quite in place. What do I do to get that? What is the timing of our strategic planning versus our tactical planning? You know, what do I do at my annual meetings, my quarterly meetings, my monthly meetings? You know, so that whole cadence of getting together. Um, what can I do to improve the communication skills of the team so that we're able to execute better? So those are some examples there. And then on the uh, financial, you know, so the engine, the 
the flywheel, if you will. What are the elements of the flywheel, particularly as it relates to, you know, can I develop some kind of income generating uh, capability of the organization? In, in a for-profit, 100% is income generating. But in a nonprofit, you're balancing the work that you're doing with kids, which is programmatic, where you you know don't you can't you can charge for it. For example, school system might pay for it, or government might pay for it. But generally, you're trying to balance that nonprofit work with some sort of income engine, so that you're not always looking for uh, donations, but you also have you have a donation model and you have an income model. So a lot of it happens around there. Sometimes legal issues come up. Hey, should we create a for-profit entity that's an offshoot of our nonprofit, or a nonprofit entity is an offshoot of our for-profit? So we have that. And then lastly, how does my products my product mix change over time? Mm -hmm. And you know, with the pandemic, uh, the last couple of years, a lot of our entrepreneurs ran into trouble. I mean, they were doing classroom-based uh, product or service. And they had to completely rethink it. And I think Gratitude Network was able to really help them think about how to you know, deploy technology better for their service and how to get in a different mindset of, of how they provide that service. So everything you just mentioned, that's a lot of stuff to think about as an entrepreneur. <laughs> when, when starting uh, a company and growing company, my it's head already difficult. Right, like it's that's not that's not easy. I had never even right. thought about the complexities of starting a non like I don't think I'd even know where to start, like how to even like what? or or actually where would you even like how do you make that decision if you want well, to do a for profit versus a non profit? Well, you know, keep in mind a lot of these. You know, take uh, you know, let me take an example. Um, give me a second here. I'll just pull up. I'll pull up yeah, an example. Time, you know, yeah. here is I love this one. So here's Jyoti Theajarajan who's in uh, India, in Bangalore. And Jody came through our program, I think it was three years ago, and she had already a core team. She'd been a teacher for four, uh, up to you know the age of, uh, I mean, she'd been a teacher for many years, like I'm gonna say yeah. 20 plus years. And notice that the education system in India really is not great. You know, so she wanted to come up with a better way of, of giving teachers the resources and the processes that they needed. And so she she founds this company called Megshala. When she came to Gratitude, it wasn't a raw startup. Again, it was a scale up. She already had a team of five to 10 people and she already had some funding and she already had a model that perhaps worked. But she was a school teacher, right? And so what does she know about you know, scaling a, a scaling a company. Mm -hmm. So at a certain point, um, she ran into you know difficulties of all the things I just mentioned. Now we believe a lot in the power of the coach, and and that might be something we want to discuss here on this program. What exactly is coaching? But um, you know, from where where she sat, getting her a coach who would just sort of calmly ask each month. Tell me what you're working on. Let's organize this a little more. She began to have, you know, organize. These are my people issues. These are my operating issues. You know, here's some product issues. And so, you know, during that year, um, she worked on, um, you know, the quality of her program and adding technology to the program. Uh, she connected with different peers on at our, at, she was here in person, actually, in uh, Pleasanton, California for our leadership summit 
And then uh, she used a lot of what she learned from her peers. She wa was watching how they manage and borrowing management ideas from them. But I think it was really the coach consistently with her for a year that was able to sort of get her to think through what are the things that I need to focus on as a leader. So it wasn't so overwhelming. The coach could really calm her down, get her focused on the critical things. And, you know, we go back and, and measure how she done um, afterwards. And, you know, I can tell you, she went from 6,000 students that they were supporting. And today she's approaching a million students. She went from one state in India to almost all the states because we gave her the confidence to present to governments of other states what she was doing in uh in the state in uh the state that bangalore is in and her her revenue and grants increased by 50 percent about a year year and a half after she went through the program so we you know we try to measure these things by the way because uh you know with venture capital and for-profits you measure based on what product has come out how your revenues are doing your profitability all that but with a nonprofit. You want to measure by how many children have you impacted? How many teachers have you impacted? Uh, how how have your donations grown? Has your team grown? Things like that. So uh, for for all of our um, entrepreneurs, we measure those sort of things. And for somebody who is for somebody who is listening, who does have uh, or who does have something that sort of falls under this sphere, this this umbrella of of a type of product that is a social product. Um, are there things that when you're helping somebody scale, are there different variables that you look for to decide whether or not they should focus on getting more grants or monetizing a product? Or is there certain things that you look for that sort of point a company in one direction versus another? Uh, that's That really is a great question. Um, I would say that it kind of comes out by natural conversation. I mean, I look at my own case, let's take, in my case, I was working with Tony Robbins and with Bob Buford. Um, Buford in particular would meet with me each month as my coach. Um, he just took it upon himself. He had his short list of leaders that he was impacting around, around the country, around the world, and I made a short list. So I think that he just had me talk and talk and talk until I kind of figured it out for myself. Like, where are the biggest gaps, you know, in, in, if you know what I mean? And and I think this is the, the best kind of coaching is where the coach gets you to think. All they're doing is asking great questions, kind of like what you're doing on this interview, right? But I think that that leads, <laughs> yeah. right? Because these are, I mean, here's another example. Lauren Bush. Lauren uh, came to us about five, six years ago. She came through the program. She's president, senior president Bush, his granddaughter. And Lauren has a group in New York City called Feed. And my sense was that Lauren works intuitively. The more you get her to think about things, the more she will come up with her own ideas of where the gaps are. And I think by and large, that's, that's a, a, you know, because these are really bright folks mm -hmm. that they've figured out how to get where they are already by hook or crook, you know, to form some kind of nonprofit or for-profit that's impacting children and it works. So now the question is, how do you use their own intelligence? How can you get them to just look in inwardly and try to figure out what is missing? 
that's the best kind of coaching, I think. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Trade Coffee. Now, I'm a coffee lover, and I just found out a really uh, unnerving stat and fact about coffee. 90% of coffee that you buy from a grocery store is actually stale. You heard that right. It blew my mind. The coffee you know and love and you go buy from your grocery store needs an upgrade, and that's not the way coffee is actually supposed to taste. So instead of buying this old, same coffee that you're already getting that's stale, Trade Coffee sends you fresh coffee as much as you want, as fast as you drink it, it's going to replenish, but it's always going to be fresh. So Trade sells fresh, roasted, and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship free to you as often as you like, whole or ground. Whether you're a coffee nerd or you just want a better daily cup, Trade's real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and your brewing method. They actually set up a quiz so that you can answer some information and they'll have a better idea of what coffee actually fits your particular profile. And they also guarantee that if uh, you don't love your first bag that they send you, they're gonna replace it for free. They've been featured by New York Times, Wired, GQ. They've delivered over 5 million bags of fresh coffee. I'm a huge coffee nerd, and any way I can get better coffee that I regularly enjoy, I'm game for. The subscription is no hassle. You can skip shipments. You can change your frequency. You can cancel anytime you want. And for all Success Story podcast listeners, they set up an intro offer to get you off the ground. They're offering a total of $20 off your first three bags when you go to Drink Trade dot com slash success story but you have to get started so to start take their quiz figure out what coffee works for you go to drinktrade.com slash success story start your journey to your perfect cup that's drinktrade.com slash success story get twenty dollars off your first three bags i think that so let's let's talk about that so um you said that coaching obviously is one of the things that has unlocked a lot of of uh, unlocked, uh, unlocked some things in your life, but also something that now Gratitude Network does. So let's talk about coaching. Let's talk about what what it is, what it isn't, what type of coaches to look for, what type of people you should stay away from. So, oh, what is yeah. your what is your let's let's do it because I know that this is obviously something that people always try and figure out, but it's it's mm-hmm. everybody and their and their you know grandma's a coach. So I'm an entrepreneur. I want to work with somebody. Right. What am I looking for? Yeah. So you've got, you have like, in my mind, three or four options. You know, I used to teach. So I taught at UC Berkeley and at Cambridge University at the MBA level. And so one option, if you're looking for learning is take a class, right? Do an online class or do an in-person class, like the ones that I taught. In that case, it's kind of like the group soaking in the lecture, soaking in the reading, maybe discussing amongst the group professor throws out the right questions it's not so much coaching there i think of that more of you know sort of a little bit mentoring combined with course okay then you go to a level you know where might a um consultant versus a coach fit in to me a consultant is someone that you would hire to solve an issue that you're not able to solve yourself you know to actually do the work for you coaching the difference is you're doing the work as the individual leader the coach is asking all the right questions for you to 
assuming that you have the knowledge about your own space and about the work you're doing, that they're trying to get you to realize what's the next step and what you need. And um, often because you're closest to the activity, like you know the personalities of the people on your team. So if the coach is asking the right questions, it kind of, you have your own internal conversation or with that coach, one-to-one -one conversation and come to talk out and come to, you know, decide on your own what is the right outcome. Um, there's also this uh, mentor, you know, what is a mentor? Uh, we call at Gratitude, we call mentors expert advisors because we found that the mentor word was confusing for folks. Some people view a mentor as a coach. Some people view a mentor as an expert. It's sort of all over the place. Well, by calling people expert advisors, it makes it clear it's about the subject matter expertise that they have. So with Gratitude, we have coaches and expert advisors, and we don't have anything. We used to have mentors, but we don't call anyone mentors anymore due to the confusion. So perhaps that helps a little bit in terms yeah. of what, what you might use for what type of thing. Now, if I'm if I'm trying to grow my business and I, like I'll take right now for Gratitude Network, I would like to figure out how to approach foundations. So as a nonprofit, my choices are either I can hire internally someone who understands foundations and we attack it, or can hire a consultant. If I hire someone internally, either I'm gonna coach them or someone ought to coach them in terms of their day-to-day -day activities, how they work with the rest of the team. They have the knowledge about foundations, but what they might not have is how does it fit into my organization? So that's where I think coaching could be useful on top of knowledge. With, with By the way, with our program, this one-two punch of coach expert advisor works great because the coach is getting you to think about your, your challenges as a leader or getting the leadership team to communicate about their challenges. But when we all hit a wall, none of us have, like, we want to develop a new technology product. Okay, let's get an expert in to help, you know, consult and be the expert in that area. And then that might lead us to either decide that we, we need to hire someone to do the work or we need to hire internally to get that work done. But let's start with the expertise that we're missing. Okay, I understand. And if somebody does see value in a coach, because obviously coaches are not free, how far should they take their business before working with somebody that can provide some expertise? Well, let's see. In other words, where do you run out of coaching gas and you need to call on the experts? Yeah. yeah. Because well, also uh, because because it's going to yeah, cost yeah. some money too, right? So you want to yeah. make sure that you have you know, it, it, unless somebody has a lot of money. But let's assume an entrepreneur doesn't have a lot of money yet. They mm -hmm. they're trying to bootstrap an idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When would they bring someone in? I think well, a general coach would be so with your with a general coach, you'd be you'd be realizing we got a gap here. We are yeah. lacking knowledge on foundations, for example, right? So at that point, you know, you're going to need to bring in some expertise. So I think it's at the point where you realize due to the coaching that you just don't know what you don't know, or that you're going to need some short-term expertise to bridge the gap and get you to the next step. Now, uh, a lot of nonprofits rely on pro bono um, help. So you can get 
experts, you can, and particularly if you're working with Gratitude Network, it's all pro bono. By the way, we don't we don't charge our social entrepreneurs. I didn't I didn't any, know that. Sorry, we don't <laughs> charge. Sure. Yeah, we're we're an accelerator that provides services for free to the social <laughs> impact entrepreneur. So um, they are getting so our experts fill that gap. You know what what they would do is they would let the coach know, gee, you know, I'm feeling like we've identified an area foundations that I just don't have the expertise in, and you as a coach don't either. Can you can we request a an expert in foundations? And so gratitude would provide that. But in the real world, without gratitude, um, you you would reach out and uh, you could use LinkedIn or you could use friends and connections, and you'd reach out to an expert and say, "Hey, we are doing great work with kids and in education. Uh, we don't have a lot of money, but we love your background. Could you give us a couple hours of your time to help us with this?" issue that we're that you're an expert in so i think that's how you would go go about doing it would there be and to follow up with that just to sort of i guess this is a good conversation and just like for entrepreneurs on on coaching but is there things that you should also uh be wary of when you're trying to find somebody to work with and to coach you are there red flags um that you would tell people to to stay on the lookout for yeah i think overly prescriptive folks who are immediately jump to a prescription when you're trying to explain the problem is usually a red flag because they're not they're not empathically listening to what your challenges are before making a suggestion it's like they have an idea already before they even get going so that's one thing to look for that would be a red flag another would be someone who seems to be um, leading you toward their service so, you know, you, 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 you talk to an expert and it's, they're kind of like, it's the hammer nail theory. They're looking for, you know, everything the, to the hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so you're trying to tell them about your issue and they keep moving you toward the thing that they do. Um, and it doesn't feel like the right fit. So that could be another red flag. A third would be, um, particularly if you were, if you're a nonprofit, if um, they appear to be moving you toward, you know, trying to sell you on their services as opposed to just helping you solve an issue um, out of, out of you know, the goodness of their heart, you know, just to provide help to a nonprofit, which a lot of people do out of the goodness of their heart. Mm -hmm. So those would be the a couple of things that I could think of. And then I guess just one more, one more question on this, because I just find this interesting as well, because you've been on both sides, because you've taught at MBA programs and notable institutions, but you're, you've also coached individuals. So do you feel as though an entrepreneur would gain more value from one versus the other? Or do you think that a traditional MBA program still has a lot of merit to somebody who wants to start a business eventually? Great question. Um, I personally loved Harvard Business School. I absolutely, and I love my Brown undergrad as well, where I was able to craft my own major or concentration brown's very liberal in that as many people know in that way um so i'm a big believer that school of hard knocks combined with a little pre-education is a great combo um i felt like apple five years at apple and a couple years at paramount which i didn't mention earlier but uh, the media kitchen i was invited to be a director at the media kitchen for paramount uh, the technology group at Paramount. And so working with all kinds of content and movies and 
I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com excellence. That's linkedin.com excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com 
Com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Uh, um, you know, CD-ROM in the early days and great on-the-street experience. I think it's a combination of both. Um, I think getting that, you know, a lot of our entrepreneurs that we work with are former teachers. That gives them some really great insight as to what kids and youth really need and want. So I love seeing that. But um, you know, having some education in business doesn't hurt. Uh, you can either learn it on your own. It probably takes a little longer. Some people are quicker than others. Um, Mark Zuckerberg seemed to be really quick at, you know, figuring out how to run a business. But he, he didn't, you know, he never completed his education. He didn't feel he needed it. Um, the same with the Yahoo founders. They were getting master's degrees. Uh I think both of them uh, at that time didn't finish their masters and they created Yahoo in the middle of it. Um, so it really is up, you know, it depends on the individual, but having watched 
uh, young people in the classroom and then see where they end up five, 10, 15 years later, it, it couldn't hurt. I mean, most of the MBAs I've worked with at UC Berkeley and, and many at Cambridge um, have had spectacular careers. I mean, they, they, they'll email me 10 years later telling me what they're up to and they're in the you know very senior positions in well-known companies. So it, it couldn't have hurt. But, uh, you know, do you have the money to spend on, yeah. <laughs> you know, formal education or you or you want to, you know, go get the experience hands on there? I think there there's both camps. I, I like the combination myself and very, I've always felt that good. that's most useful. Um, no, I was going to I just wanted to I wanted to ask. Uh, so was there any other uh, any other points on coaching that I didn't bring up? Um, because I know you're in this world much more than I am. So any other things that uh, either either on coaching or on on nonprofits, entrepreneurs that are in that space that they should just think about, be aware of um, that you've you've seen people experience over their careers with gratitude. Well, you know, I did want to maybe mention a little bit on mindset. You know, the okay, let's do it. I had mentioned yeah. earlier you and I or. Uh, you, I alluded to this idea of success versus significance, and I don't know if you wanted to jump into that, but a lot of that does have to do, you know, it's funny, I've literally stamped the word gratitude on my forehead, if you think about it. Yeah. It, you know, if I'm, if I'm demonstrating lack of gratitude to my children, grandchildren, or my wife, I will hear about it immediately, because <laughs> I have stamped that baby, <laughs> you know, right on my right in my forehead but yeah. you know how does that how does that really relate to this whole i know i think a lot of your listeners probably think about success how do i define success and some of mm -hmm. them are now you know as they get as we get older we think of what's the impact i'm leaving on the world what's the significance not just the uh, the success and for me i looked out in that that word gratitude was sort of in the middle of all of that and I use the gratitude to push myself, you know, ever so slowly over to the significant side. And, you know, Cicero, the Roman orator said, you know, gratitude is sort of the root uh, to a lot of human elements. You know, if you're mm -hmm. grateful for things, you can find love. If you're grateful for things, you can find happiness, uh, et cetera. And I, I really believe that's true. So being grateful to some extent has helped me a lot. But when I think about this mindset of success versus significance, it, it always intrigued me that, you know, many of the people in the Silicon Valley that I have worked with over the years are defining their life based on possessions and based on stock options and based on how many second, third and fourth homes they can own and, and this kind of thing. And then their happiness depends on you know, that bar, that, that expectation that they've set on success, but they never seem to be able to get to the bar. So they always seem a little bit anxious, you know, like they're not yeah. quite happy. And I noticed this early on, you know, my wife and I would go to different parties that Apple would have. And we noticed, you know, all the other couples, all they wanted to do in the Silicon Valley is talk about how much money they were making, how many stock options, how, what car they're driving, all the possessions, right? And at a certain point, you run out of possessions, you know, it's like, okay, we got enough. What, and you're grateful for what you've been given. So now how do you lead a life of significance? How are you gonna impact others? Um, how are you gonna leave a legacy um, if you want to? You don't have to, I mean, you can leave a legacy with your children 
or your grandchildren. That's huge. You could leave a legacy globally, which is what we're trying to do with the Gratitude Network. We're impacting um, underprivileged children that would have no other help globally and social entrepreneurs who are working with them. Um, so I always encourage when I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of one-to-one uh, -one coaching outside of gratitude right now with uh, very seasoned and senior CEOs. So they're running, you know, hundred million dollar, billion dollar for-profit companies. And a lot of the coaching is like, they're kind of tired of chasing success. And what will their life look like the next 20 years for significance? So how do they shift that? Do they focus more on family? Do they focus more on church or synagogue? Do they, you know, mm -hmm. uh, do they focus more on community? Do they want to take trips globally and impact people globally? I'm always trying to get them to think about what are the, what are the things that are kind of, you're born with this desire to, you know, that you might have been born with a desire to make an impact. Let's go back to when you were younger what is it you wanted to change or what is it you wanted to create or what is it you wanted to leave in the world and get them to come back to that sim the simple before we got all caught up with the boats and the cars and the houses what was the simple thing that we wanted to do to impact the world that would make us happy doing it each day so that's my little was mindset you know I, I feel that that's an important part of the whole entrepreneurial journey was it hard for you to make that shift in your own life? Probably not. You know, I was I was, I was born to a very creative uh, father and a very loving mom. And so I had this great combination of like this highly creative dad who is like run from one thing to the next, doing all kinds of creative stuff. I try to follow him. And yet my mom was very emotional and very, you know, people oriented. And I think like, even I remember at Brown and at Harvard, I was writing papers on impact. I was writing, I was thinking about dual career couples. How can they spend time with their kids? How do you have two careers in a family and still have a meaningful family life? Um, you know, things like that. So I think balance was the word I used to think of it back then instead of significance is like, how do you create life balance? Um, so I'm probably one of the luckier ones in that for some reason, early on, it just struck me that, um, and I got to say, I definitely fall into, into the privileged category. So there's no doubt about that. Um, I would, it would be a lot harder for me if I'd started off in a different family situation, different neighborhood, different level of education, et cetera, a different skin color, different race, etc. You know, anything, um, anything other than who I am would have been potentially harder. So I always wonder. You know, I don't really know how to. I can only be me. Uh, I can't put myself in 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 the place of an underprivileged child, but I can do the most I can do given what I've been what I've been dealt. Yeah. And in my case, being fortunate is like okay, and at the age of fifty, enough enough of the making money and now what do we do for the next 40 years on the giving back part hopefully and a lot of other people a lot of other yeah. people reach that um sometimes it's through unhappiness i think that people reach that they talk to their friends or therapists and like i've got like this mansion of a house three boats five cars but i'm not happy <laughs> okay i'm divorced twice you know 
Yeah. What's going on? Well, what are you chasing? What is your measurement of success? And is it is that something society has gotten you to chase? Is that truly what you want to chase where you would find meaning and significance in life? And this is where, you know, unfortunately with social media and and um digital media these days, young people, it's really hard for them to differentiate differentiate between that huge amount of data coming at them from the world that tells you this is what you should be versus this is who I am. And I've had people in my classes at, you know, Berkeley, you could tell from day one, that person knows exactly who they are. They're 19, 22, 25 years old. They know exactly who they are. And they're already trying to figure out how to put that to work for good work. And then you can tell who's a little lost, you know, it's like, well, I think I need a job that's, well, for example, Harvard Business School is amazing how many people wanted investment banking and consulting jobs. And if you talk to those same people two years after we all left and ask them if they're happy, 80% of them were miserable because they were, they were being, you know, used all, all their time and energy being used up by these large, larger organizations that they were working 80 hour weeks and not for themselves, for somebody else and lo lost their purpose, their sense of purpose. So it's amazing how you can kind of get in that mode of, I got to get, to, I got to have this, I got to have this versus what do I, what do I want truly to be, you know, for happiness for myself. By the way, you Scott, work with a lot of, yeah, I, I want to add yeah. having a great life partner. I will say my mm -hmm. wife, Patty, has been a wonderful life partner. Uh, if, if you're able to figure that out early and find that great life partner, it helps tremendously. It really does. Because, you know, that person may be the compliment. That person will remind you who you are, and they're probably going to know you best. So they'll remind you who you truly are so that you can come back to that center when you need to. Um, without, I was, I was going to ask you, like, when you were, when, you, when were you happiness in life? Is it now? Because you've gone through like that. So that's what I, that's what I think I'm hearing you say. You, you got, you've gone through this massive amount of success with career, with investment, and and when were you the happiest? Well, I'm definitely. I, I would say I'm definitely have calmed down. I'm <laughs> happiest now as I get older. I, I would say for a lot of people that's true. That you know they kind of mellow out over time, but. I don't know. I look back each period. I'm sure my wife would remind me, no, you were, you know, you were itching for a change. You weren't that happy. But I look back, you know, on each thing now and I go, well, what was the lesson that I learned in that period? And it seemed like, it seemed like there were elements of happiness at each point, but that um, I was slowly figuring out where, you know, what do you truly need to do to be happy? And, I will, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a hundred percent happy every day now either. I mean, I think part of what drives me is I want to make impact. And so I won't be, you know, I'm, I've set a bar, you know, but at least it's a bar that's helping others as, as opposed to a bar that is the next home in Lake Tahoe. Now, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Grin. Now, Grin is the number one creator management platform, helping e-commerce brands connect with their audience through the power of creator partnerships. Now, influencer marketing, it's easy to get lost in the spreadsheets and busy work, combing through a messy web of 
communications, looking for content, wondering about campaigns, are they delivering, where are the data points, have you shipped the creative yet, have you shipped the product yet, uh, have they billed, have they invoiced, all of the headache that comes with managing creators and influencers, that's where Grin comes in. So Grin is an all-in-one software that allows you to treat your creators like your brand revolves around them, even though you're actually saving yourself a ton of headache. Grin helps you find and recruit the perfect ambassadors for your brand, streamlines the communication process, collects all the creator content in one spot, tracks the ROI in real time so you can create smarter campaigns that drive sales. With Grin, one person can do the work of an entire team. You can find and recruit influencers, communicate with them, ship product, aggregate creator content, measure ROI all in one spot. You are maximizing every dollar you invest in influencer marketing and you are eliminating all of the headache, all of the busy work. Brands like Liquid IV, First Aid Beauty, Movement, they all run influencer marketing campaigns at scale and work with thousands of creators at the same time they're all using Grin. So you need to treat your creators like your brand revolves around them because in the creator economy, it does. Experts believe that influencer marketing will become a $15 billion industry by 2022. So this isn't going away anytime soon. You have to figure out how to use influencers and creators at scale. Find out how Grin can help you grow your brand. Watch the demo at grin.co. That's G-R-I-N. Co. Influencer marketing is easier with Grin. Find out why at grin.co. That's G-R-I-N dot C-O. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, do you think that, do you think that that's something that actually, you work with a lot of entrepreneurs. So this is all about mindset. Do you think that there's some merit to having this mindset when you are starting a company? having a mindset of gratitude versus having a mindset of how big can I scale this? How much money can I make? When can I exit? When can I IPO? And, and if so, how do we teach more entrepreneurs that when, for example, in the non, in the non nonprofit space and their venture and they go and raise money and venture back the for-profit, it's all about, it's all about how fast can you scale, how much money you can make? Yeah, that is, that is, that is a really, a conundrum, isn't it? I, I don't yeah. have an answer for that one because, Tough you know, one. be foolish for me to say, if I look at some of the greatest entrepreneurs of all time, they were driven by perfection of their product, like in the case of Steve Jobs, or assert, or to make more money or to grow, just love the idea of keep growing, keep growing or to con or conquest, you know, even the, like the, I won't. I wouldn't say the current Bill Gates, but the old Bill Gates, I think, in a, you know, you look at Microsoft in the early days, it seemed to be more about the conquest than about anything else. It just, you know, just being the operating system that everyone used and just and beating out the competition. So, you know, everyone has something that drives them. It'd be hard for me to say, no, you have to be completely altruistic as an entrepreneur. I don't think that'll work for a lot of the entrepreneurs, but I do appreciate the entrepreneurs who have built wonderful cultures along the way. And, you know, I lived through one myself, you know, watching uh, Jerry Yang and Dave Philo at Yahoo. I think they really purposefully and, and Tim Kugel, who came in as the CEO um, not long after I joined, 
they really built a nice culture in the early days of Yahoo. I, I really believe the culture at Google was something extraordinary and exceptional, even from the very beginning. The culture of Netflix, totally different. You know, a lot of, you know, uh, you work your way out of a job. And if you don't have the next project, you're gone. Um, all that got posted, that early culture. So I think that there are entrepreneurs who give thought to meaning and building meaning in, and purpose into, into the organizations. But I would say in a for-profit company, you kind of have to have both. You've got to have that drive to beat the competition and make, you know, make a business model that's going to be effective and convince the venture guys that they should invest. And, in, you know, I don't think you can do all that altruistically. In a nonprofit, I think you have more opportunity as a leader to, to, to have that more altruistic approach because you're really appealing to the heart of your donors and you're trying to appeal to foundations in the impact that you're making. So there, there it's a little more aligned. Very good. No, that's, it's just a very interesting uh, thought experiment because I do believe that if you, if you have the mindset that you have now, you can be happier long-term, which is really what everybody wants anyways. Yeah. That's really what the majority of people want. They want to be happy, yeah. but how do we, how do we get there? So it's it, almost it, like you have to be cognizant of, you have to play the game a little bit to get to the point where you can be happier and be giving more back and, and having more of an altruistic view on life. Yeah. And you know, Scott, a lot of us are parents as well. And I think you have a real yeah. opportunity as a parent um, to think through what can I do to help my child understand who they are and what truly makes them happy. And when they're little, you can really see that. You can see what things seem to make them happy and giggle and have fun. You know, as they get older and, and you get the, you know, school pressures in, it's a little, it becomes a little harder, but even there, encouraging them to, to follow a passion, like, you know, a silly one that my dad encouraged in me, um, which by the way, wasn't very cool with the kids. It wasn't very popular with the kids, but he encouraged me as a puppeteer. What's intriguing about puppeteering, if you think about it, it's theater, staging, voice, lighting, performance, all these really interesting things combined. It, you know, if you look at Broadway stage, doesn't even have totally what puppetry has. It's just, you, you've got to make the puppets, you make the costumes, create this, you know, all of this. So he got me engaged in a very creative thing. I don't, I don't, you know, today I do it with my grandchildren just for fun, you know, little puppet shows and things. But I think that kind of creative thinking, that right brain thinking really helped me a lot. For example, I was attracted to Apple because I knew that that's where a lot of the creators were. I was attracted to Paramount. Again, that's where all the movie uh, producers and directors and, and content creators were. So early days of my digital media career, um, it really served me well to have the right brain thinking, which you can encourage in a child. And then if they're if they're also left brain thinking, uh, show them how to apply that rigor and and the details that they may be good at, or the math mathematics or physics or whatever that they're good at. You know how do you combine the left and the right brain? I call it and the that, in, the intersection um, of 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 the two brains and of all the different things you could do with your life. It's like find that in, intersection between what you love doing and you're good at, and where the world needs you. That, by the way, is called Ikigai. 
there is a, a theory, a Japanese theory of Ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I, -I -I, Ikigai. And that theory is sort of, uh, you know, where is the overlap between doing what you love doing, doing what you're really good at doing, doing what the world needs you, or, you know, where there's a gap in the world, and then maybe the fourth circle economic, doing something that makes money. So you can survive if this is the career that you're pursuing. That's that's the ikigai um, theory. I love that. Um, do you have do you have a when you work with entrepreneurs? Do you find like what you just described with like the left brain, right brain? Do you find that many people who are successful have a combination of of both and that intersection? I can't think of at the moment, there are a lot of engineer backgrounds who become CEOs and have successful companies. But I think if you look at them, the highly engineering oriented type, uh, there is a creative side to them too. It would be hard to create the company, to create the excitement that attracts others, to create the market that you have to create, to create the product and the features that, you know, so even, in, even when you're trained as an engineer, um, I've even seen lawyers. Uh, a great example is uh, one of the fellows I worked with at Yahoo um, was working for Venture Law Group, which served Yahoo in the early days. He later became a senior VP on the operating side of Yahoo using his legal background. And then he later became an entrepreneur. His name is Jim Brock. And Jim is a great example of someone who with you know legal skills is very rigid, very right brain thinking. He was good at that, but when he applied the intersection of his creative area, he was able to run as a senior VP, a major chunk of Yahoo and partnerships and things like that. And then eventually do several startups where he had to create from nothing, uh, pure startups. So, you know, I think uh, I, I do find that a lot and then come the other direction, a highly creative person, usually their best bet is to partner with an operator, right? So if you look at, let's take, um, you know, in a way, you, the Google founders, um, I'm trying to think of a better example of where you have a highly creative person with, with a more of an operation style. But I think in the case of Google, you had two highly creative guys and they pulled in uh, Eric as, as the third in the triumvirate. Eric yeah. brought that operational experience and CEO experience to, to them. Um, but you often will find that somewhere in the leadership team, you've got in the founding team, a, um, someone who really understands the subject matter that, of, of what they're focused on. And that person tends to be more the right brain or the left brain creative. And then you've got the operational person that helps them along, helps them set the company up, helps hire all those people, et cetera. Think of it like the CEO and the COO. Uh, so know know where you're weak. Know know what you don't know. Know your gaps, and then you know fill that gap accordingly. Basically, but yeah. That's... And I I always counsel entrepreneurs when they're starting something if they clearly are having trouble in either the left brain or the right brain thinking. I tell them, look, it's probably worth your while giving up a piece of the pie to bring a partner in who is good at those things because you're just going to lumber along here. Um, you know, until, you know, trying to figure this out, it's not your forte. 
So if it's someone who's highly creative or specialized in an area, I tell them, go find an operating or a technology partner if they're not strong in technology um, and give them a part of the equity just to get them on board early so they so they buy into this concept. You're going to have a bigger pie at the end of the day um, than try to do it all yourself. Uh, Facebook is a great example. I think at some point, Sheryl Sandberg joining Mark Zuckerberg was like a stroke of genius because he reached a point where he did what he could. He's highly creative in what he set up and how he dealt with the, the venture world and the angels. Some of these angels were the top angels in the world that he's dealing with. And he's, you know, not even through school. So he learned all he could. And then it's like, I need someone to help on the operations side and found a spectacular partner early on. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, it's hard to build a business. It's hard to make your dreams a reality when it feels like you're spending all your time working on your CRM, working on mundane admin tasks. But the HubSpot CRM platform is purpose-built for scaling with your business and those big dreams of yours so it's impossible to outgrow. Now, HubSpot has intuitive visual workflows. It has bot builders. The HubSpot CRM platform can automate campaigns across your website, email, social media, digital ads, and chat for clear communication across all your channels, zero mixed messages. With the HubSpot Teams feature, you can organize your account by teams and segment leads, sort through content, and easily view team performance reports and KPI dashboards. And thanks to sequences, you can create flows that automate sales outreach, follow-up, timed personalized emails so you can scale your customer relationships like never before. The HubSpot CRM platform is easy to implement and ready to scale, so dream big. Learn more about the HubSpot CRM platform and how it can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. Very good. Those, no, those are just good examples because um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think many people understand that if they are, like, especially your first startup, right? If you are very creative, um, you have to share a bit of that pie just to get just to get some momentum. If you are highly process oriented, maybe it does help to bring in somebody who's more creative. I think that people, when they're first starting their first company, maybe this is just a gross uh, generalization, but a lot of people want to hold on to that thing because it's their baby and they, they're scared about giving away equity or giving out too much of that company early on. Right. But what you just mentioned was very smart. You know, it's better to have a little bit of something than all of nothing, right? So, and by the way, it's usually more than a little bit because the founder yes. will generally keep controlling interest, but that doesn't mean you can't bring in a solid partner for, you know, 10, 15% early on of the business where they feel like they have a substantial piece and a substantial say. Another of my favorite examples is there's a company that I was fortunate enough to work with called iFluence. And iFluence was founded by Jim Margraf, who's highly creative. Uh, he's a technologist, MIT trained, very, very creative in his product design and ideas for growing markets. And he got, you know, I was able to introduce him early on to a COO, Dave Steer, who is also creative, but he's very good keeping the trains on track. And he's very good with the details that perhaps Jim would not want to deal with. 
So put the two of them together, they made magic, and Google ended up buying iFluence three and a half years later. Um, now they've gone off to start um, a, a new company called Canoe together because they realized what a great one-two punch. Um, and they brought a third partner in on that one early who could specialize in the digital uh, media and children side that that the two of them wanted to have in there. So that it was like three of them. They learned the lesson on the first one. And then they said, well, what's missing on the second one? We've got another great idea, but we're missing X, Y, Z. So they brought in a world-class person who could fill that role. Amazing. Okay. I want to, I want to um, pivot into some rapid fire questions just to close this off, but okay. I did want to just say like, if you're, if people want to reach out to you, if people want to go check out more about uh, gratitude network, uh, where are they going? What's social website, all of that for yourself or for the network? Yeah, really easy. So if they want to reach out to gratitude, they just pop into Google gratitude network. We'll take them to our website. Uh, all the con you know, the way that site flows through, if you're interested in coaching, it will eventually ask you to put a, a little bit of information in that goes directly to our director of coaching, our senior director of coaching. They want to reach me. Um, I'm my first name at my last name.net, Randy okay. at .net. And so if someone's interested in being coached. Uh, which I, I do continue to do with senior level folks. Love I love doing that. And uh, a lot of one-to-one -one coaching when I'm not running Gratitude Network during the month. And um, they can reach out at randy at haken.net on that. Okay, perfect. Um, okay, so these are, these are I say rapid fire, but like you can choose right, to here we go. extrapolate or you can keep it simple if you like, whatever you want. Um, okay. The biggest challenge that you've had in your career, what was it and how did you overcome it? Biggest challenge I had was a little company I started right after Yahoo, where I thought I knew it all. <laughs> and it was called Electric Minds with a pioneer in um, the whole area of social communities. He wrote the original book on what today is just, you know, a part of our everyday life, but social communities. His name is Howard Rheingold. And so I played the COO role. He played the creative role. And we just hit the dot-com bubble at the wrong time, ran out of funding. And man, I took that to heart because we had such a great creative and technology team. And we had technologists all over the world working with us on building a community called Electric Minds. So that one definitely hit me hard. You know, we had SoftBank involved in that and quite a few angel investors. And that was challenging. What I learned from that, of course, was what are some of the mistakes you can make along the way? How do you pre-think your next round of funding so you don't run out of gas? And who are the key players you want to have involved early in the business so that you have a lot of help in getting to these future stages? Um, so learn my lesson on that one. And, and uh, it, it got a little better the next couple. And then with the venture firm, I ended up trying to coach that type of thing to a lot of the CEOs I worked with. Very smart. A, a tough, tough lesson, but, but but at least you learn something. But that's really bad luck too. That's, that's incredibly bad luck. Um, yeah. Uh, it is what it is. <laughs> that's, you know, what can you do? Yeah, um, you know, the, the best yeah. thing you get out of a situation like this is what was the blessing that I got out of this? Because many years later, you'll look back on something like that and you'll realize, man, my whole career 
actually would have not been the same if it weren't for that negative, yeah, that thing true. that I thought was so negative. So there's always a yeah. silver lining. Um, you just have to put yourself in that positive frame of mind to see. Um, if you had to choose one person in your life, uh, there's obviously been many, but uh, somebody who has had a, an incredible impact, who is that person and what did they teach you? Uh, well, a lot of people I'm sure choose their parents. I have was very I was very blessed to have someone in my life. He is still in my life, and this is now forty years later, thirty-five, forty years later, and that is his name is Barrett Hazeltine. And Barrett Hazeltine is an incredible person. He started teaching sixty-two or sixty-three years ago at Brown. Barrett has been teaching for more than 60 years at Brown University, which is not, you know, at Ivy League level. And his, he's, his whole focus was on helping in a liberal arts school, people that were interested in organizations and entrepreneurship and business. There was nowhere for them to go in a liberal arts school. There were no business courses. So he invented something called Engine 9 where he had you know, all kinds of speakers come in. He did case studies, but it was all related to business and entrepreneurs. And I remember seeing John Scully from Apple come in and John, John's a Brown alum. And John came and spoke one day at, at the class. And I just thought, this is so cool that this professor has opened up the world you know, of, of all these incredible people and bring them into Brown. And then, uh, you know, I stayed in touch with Barrett over the years. What was most inspirational about him is during the summer, he and his wife, Mary, would dedicate themselves in Africa to teaching at universities, starting with Malawi and then several other African nations. And they would just give their time teaching and trying to impact um, youth in, in less privileged countries around the world that really sunk into me early, you know learning about that when i was a student of his and fast forward you know 35 plus years later he is an ambassador for the gratitude network and we still are in touch on a almost weekly recently basis and it's just wonderful to you know have a mentor um and a coach like barrett over the years so i was really really fortunate to stumble into him Amazing. Um, if you had a resource, a book or something that you'd recommend people go check out, is there anything in particular that you wanted to uh, recommend that's had an impact on okay. you? This what back you here is my, my favorite books. shelf. you, I mean, we're talking, we're I know, talking, I, I feel like I have to ask you just because you got Neil, like a couple hundred. Neil Stevenson snow crash here, right? We're talking, <laughs> we're talking um, Tony Robbins, you know, Ray Kurzweil. This is my my recent favorite, and and you know here's why I would recommend this book. So this book is on coaching, and you know those of us who are leaders, the the thing is we're we're really coaching our team, you know, you're or you're coaching your children, or maybe you're coaching little league or soccer. You know, every one of us has some element of coaching in our lives, and this book boils Michael Bungay Stanier is is the coach and it boils things down to five questions the kickstart question the awe question the focus question the foundation question the lazy so he's got all these different interesting questions and boils it down you know it's something you can literally keep in front of you when you're in a coaching session or with one of your leaders 
even with a venture capitalist, if you're pitching to a VC, it's interesting how you can use some of this. You just, you're asking questions, you know, asking great questions, you're going to get great results, great solutions. The better the question, probably the better the solution. So I'm a big believer in, in this, and he's done a great job, um, you know, putting that together. Uh, my, my favorite of all time, though, I mentioned it earlier. If you want to talk about going from success to significance, Halftime by Bob Buford. So Bob is my mentor. It was really something special. But the book is short and fantastic and really gets you thinking about how to move from success to significance. Amazing. Sorry, I uh, those are two. two both of, I, I gave you three or four yeah. books. You asked for one. I know. Like I'm going to complain about more books and both and actually all those none of those have been on the show yet so those are all new those are all okay. new recommendations so i appreciate it yeah that's oh, good great. great um if you could tell your 20 year old self one thing what would it be shut up and listen <laughs> that's good advice. uh true <laughs> empathy and listening skills do not come to most 20 year olds especially if they're on their way somewhere right and uh however if you could uh if you could put on your, you know, sort of listening hat more often before responding. To me, that is like the single biggest thing you can do to kind of, it doesn't necessarily slow you down. It just means you're more informed because instead of blurting the first thing that comes to mind or having a pre, you know, a lot of us, when we're listening to somebody else talk, we already know what we're going to say. So you're not even really listening to the person talk. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, Zip it and do more listening would probably be, be the number one thing. Like that immediately came to mind when you asked. Uh, <laughs> the, the, other, the other thing I tell my 20-year-old my self is, good job. I pat myself on the back. Good job marrying Patty, <laughs> Patty Grant, who became Patty Haken. Nice work. Good job. <laughs> I love that. Good. Good. Yeah. No, you're 100% you're right. If you can find that, if you find that partner and, and they're there for you the whole time. That's a that's a blessing. That is yeah. a, that is a, a life hack for sure. Thirty five um, thirty five years. We're we're going for we're doubling that. We're going for seventy. We've decided on a yeah. So we're going for seventy. We're at thirty five. Yeah. Well, congratulations, congratulations. That's very good. Thanks. Um, and then last question. You kind of already answered this, but I'll ask it anyways. Ask everyone as the last question of the show. What does success mean to you? So I think success means defining a life for yourself and a mindset that are you are are you know to be true to you and that you know have some impact um and maybe the impact is not on yourself necessarily it could be impact on family it could be impact on others in your community or impact globally but i think um leading a life of success means coming to grips with what are the things that are most meaningful to you in life and making sure that you wrap your day-to-day -day and your month-to-month -month and your year-to-year -year activities slowly but surely, you know, kind of like an onion over time so that when you get to the end point, you look back, you go, oh yeah, I wrapped myself with the right things. And, you know, if you feel like you're not doing that immediately, then shift and start wrapping yourself with things that are more meaningful early as early as you can you know if you're 50 years old it's never too late 60 whatever um if you're 20 and you figure this out hey 
hats off to you because you are way ahead of your peers. 